0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Impeachment's not working the way Democrats thought it would. Mayor Bloomberg is in the mix, running for president. Joe Biden talks about running mates. Uh, whatever happened to the low-level attorney and the whole FISA scam? Socialists don't really like charity. And the Harvard-Yale climate protest for lunatics. That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: This, this is the Buck Sexton, Buck Sexton, Sexton. Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. American, Ready. Great here. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a
1: great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you here with me on the Buck Sexton Show. It is turkey week. No, not like Erdogan turkey. Turkey gobble gobble. Exciting stuff. Thanksgiving coming up. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you all are too. Um, I can tell you this. I'm going to engage in intermittent fasting for at least a part of a day, the day of Thanksgiving, so that uh, I can just do one of those 3,000 or 4,000-calorie single-sitting Thanksgiving meals. It's not that hard. When you throw stuffing into the mix, anything is possible. See, the real champions know that you take the stuffing— and you mix in some of the gravy and when you get the gravy and the stuffing together and then it's sort of it, it, then you just you can pile that in easily three or four thousand calories. I do not recommend you try this at home. Your belt will feel tighter. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what that's what we've got facing us this week, which is exciting. You know, normal Americans across the country woke up this morning, um, probably not thinking at all about impeachment because most of them don't care. And that's understandable. i uh, But the ones who were paying attention last week had to wake up today and say to themselves. What a farce this whole thing is. Here we are after being told all last week that the president has committed horrific offenses against the Constitution. He's a really bad person. He has to be removed from office. If he doesn't get removed, then horrible things will befall this republic. What is he guilty of exactly? Well, the charge changes every day. We don't really know. Depends on when you ask, who you ask. It's not the way it's supposed to be in a criminal proceeding. But, oh, this is not a criminal proceeding. It's a political proceeding. But it's not about politics, they say. It's about our institutions. The goalposts move so fast, I feel like I'm watching a ping pong match and just looking side to side to side. I don't know what's going on anymore. Um, But the problem the Democrats face right now is that last week, wasn't good for them didn't work the way they thought it would did not have this watergate moment where republicans finally start turning or even independents turn in large numbers here is uh, Fox News host uh, Chris Wallace uh, who is not pro-Trump I mean you can tell by his great he finds the president personally distasteful I think that's quite clear from the way that he covers all this stuff but here he was just mentioning on Fox uh, a poll that they had on Well, where things were before we had Fiona Hill and the guy with the bow tie and these other State Department figures, Sondlin. strange fellow, Uh, before that happened and after that happened, here's what the polling says. Play 17, please.
2: Public opinion has begun to actually move against you. And I want to put up a poll. Back in early October, people favored impeachment and removing the president by 52 percent to 46 or plus six. Now that's turned to 48 percent for removal and 50 percent against or minus two. That's an eight point swing against removing the president while you've been making your best case.
1: Well, they've been making a case that is completely stacked in terms of the process. You can't bring the witnesses that Republicans would want to bring forward. Adam Schiff has been ruling over this thing with an iron fist. All kinds of dishonesty. This is They took their best shot last week at, at impeaching the president. And they're still going to impeach him, by the way. Now, how could they not at this point? How could they back away? They were so wrong about this all along that people are saying now, oh, maybe they'll just vote for censure. Well, if they just voted for censure, that means it wasn't serious enough to impeach. If it wasn't serious enough to impeach, why would they bring this proceeding in the first place? Why would they bring this proceeding in an election year? Why not just let the people decide? Oh, I think we know the answer to that. They must impeach him. There's no way around it now, given what the Democrats have done. They've backed themselves into a quarter. And they want to impeach him. This isn't reluctant. Nancy Pelosi and Schiff and Schumer, they hate this guy. They hate him because he has pulled back the curtain and let the American people see what a bunch of feckless clowns run the federal government and not just elected office, by the way. I'm talking also about the Comeys and Brennans and Strucks and Pages and oh, my. All of them, they hate him for this. So now there are really two camps here of Democrat. There's the wrong, but at least trying to sound reasonable about impeachment uh, side of this, where you have people like, for example, Amy, Amy Klobuchar uh, saying that, oh, but this is it's very impeachable what he did, even though people don't seem to think it is who didn't hate Trump in the first place. Play 18.
2: So have you seen enough evidence, even though you're eventually going to have to be a juror if it goes to trial, whether to quit or convict? Have you seen enough evidence to date for this to go to trial? Yes, I made this very clear, uh, that I think this is an impeachable offense. And um, all of the senators, including our Republican colleagues, are going to have to make this decision. Um, And I thought one of the really good points that was made earlier on your panel uh, was the point uh, that— You can't just close your eyes to this. Um, You think about back in Watergate, they didn't close their eyes when a paranoid president who was up for election and looking for dirt on a political opponent got involved in having people break into an office and steal information on their opponents from a filing cabinet. Well, this is the global version of Watergate, where a president is trying to get dirt on a political opponent. From a world leader. That is basically what happened here. And so that's the case that we'll be making.
1: That is not basically what happened here. Asking for an investigation is not the same thing as getting dirt. There's a legitimate basis for the investigation of the Bidens. Don't let the media obscure this. The Bidens have given plenty of cause for people to look into their conduct, including the vice, the former vice president and now sitting senator. People look at this and say, hold on a minute. Joe Biden had a son who was making $50,000 a month. There is certainly the appearance of corruption. The appearance of corruption is how all corruption investigations begin. They don't know necessarily there was corruption, but it looks like there might have been. And yet they tell us that this is just digging for dirt. No, if the president had said fabricate something on my opponent, make something up so that we can run with it in our election, that would be different. But the reality right now is that they are pretending, pretending that um, this is somehow illicit. And they're hoping that people will just buy them because of the hysteria. Um, Here's what Max Boot, speaking of hysterics, has to say about all of this. Play clip one, please.
3: I mean, this is the very definition of a high crime and misdemeanor. And it is very frustrating to me to hear even Republicans like Will Hurd, who are I think are somewhat more fair minded than the Jim Jordans or Devin Nunes of the world. Even Will Hurd saying this is improper, but not impeachable. Well, to congressman Hurd, I would say, if this is not impeachable, what is impeachable? This is the most impeachable conduct I think we have ever seen from a president of the United States. And we have to hold him accountable. No matter what the politics are.
1: The most impeachable, so more impeachable than Watergate. They're not even sure what the conduct is, but it is more impeachable than Watergate. I know you're probably tired of this. By the way, I said sitting, I meant former senator, pardon me, former Senator Joe Biden. Um, I know you're uh, probably sick of hearing about impeachment. I certainly am, but they're not going to stop. The the problem that we have to face is that they'll just continue on with this. They're, They're not going to give it up. They're not going to move past it. They're just going to say, "Okay, well, hold on a minute here. We need to just find new evidence. We need to find new information about how guilty he is. But there's a little bit of a sneaking suspicion, I think, among some of the Democrats that this may not work out the way they thought. They knew it was a wild card. They knew they were taking a political risk in this whole process. And... They didn't really think through what the long term would be here, for example. What happens when the Senate trial is underway and the Senate is Republican majority? All the arguments that we've heard about this is a political process. Those will be applicable to the Senate. Now, that doesn't stop the completely dishonest media from lying to all of you about what happened. But they're going to act like there's some difference between what happened in the House and what will be happening in the Senate. Oh, the Senate is a different chamber, a different body can't have the same expectations for its conduct of the impeachment at that point, the trial and possible removal of a president. That's what they will say. Somehow it's different. All we really have to know is the difference is a function of who has power, who has the votes. They don't. Therefore, the rules will have to be different. But Adam Schiff has already made it quite clear, the shiftiest fellow in the entire United States Congress. He has made it clear that if Republicans subpoena him, Oh, he has. He will not testify about this. Play clip six.
3: President Trump just yesterday uh, said that you yourself uh, should be compelled to testify if the House moves forward and it goes to the Senate. Would you be willing to do so in the House Judiciary Committee? Would you be willing to do so in the Senate? There's nothing for me to testify about, Jake. And I, I think if the president or his allies in the Senate persist in this, it really means they're not serious about what they're doing. And well, now, they would they would cite. sorry for interrupting, but they would cite. David Kendall, who was President Clinton's attorney during that impeachment, he got to cross-examine Ken Starr. Now, I know, understand you're not an uh, independent counsel, well, the, the, but you did lead this, the investigation. This is not a uh, insignificant distinction, Jake. I'm not a special counsel. I don't work for a separate branch of government. I'm not uh, in the Justice Department. I am more in a position that Henry Hyde was during the Clinton impeachment or Peter Rodino during the Nixon impeachment or Sam Irvin. They were not fact witnesses. Uh, What would I offer in terms of testimony that I heard Dr. Hill in an open hearing say such and such? That's not pertinent. The only reason for them to go through with this is to mollify the president. And that's not a good reason to try to call a member of Congress as a witness.
1: Adam Schiff is playing dumb here, and he's hoping that people are so dumb that they won't figure out exactly what's going on. We all know what he would be asked about if he were to testify. It's not sitting and listening to Fiona Hill, who just blathered on about you know nonsense and Russia and Ukraine policy for hours. It, nothing particularly new or interesting. But it's not that. We want to know, when did you start talking to this whistleblower and what did you tell the whistleblower and what what kind of coordination did you engage in? That's what we would want to know. And the problem that he would have is he's lied about this, almost certainly. Does anyone really think he doesn't know who the whistleblower is? Does anyone think he doesn't know who the whistleblower is? If he were to be forced to plead the fifth, wouldn't at that point it be quite clear exactly what happened? So there's a reason why you're noticing a bit of a silence today around this issue. You're not seeing them push quite as hard. They're trying to recover from The expectations that they had set up for their anti-Trump audiences last week, that it was going to be the end, the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency for real this time. They've told us that how many times, but it was really going to happen this time, the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. But no, it wasn't. In fact, as we noted at the top of the show, an eight point swing favored those saying the president should not be impeached and removed from office. And this, you would think, comes at a time when the president would be most vulnerable to negative public opinion because they've just made, they've just taken their best shot. The most damage they could do has been done. Why are we at this point right now? Well, maybe because this whole thing really is a farce. Maybe because it never was going to be what they said it was going to be. They don't have the goods. They are delusional. They are really... Ill. I mean, something Trump has broken them. He has emotionally un, uh, emotionally destabilized and unhinged, not just Democrat constituents, but Democrats in elected office, too. And so they no longer have the ability. They no longer have the ability to distinguish reality from their own conspiracies. That's possible. That's where I think we are. Um, but it's also why I would note we today have the opportunity to have a discussion about a new Entrant into the uh, ranks of would-be presidents, n- former mayor of New York City Michael Bloomberg. We will get to it. So we got a billionaire who wants to be yet another billionaire in the race to take out a billionaire. It's almost starting to feel like a lot of rich people get into politics. Something to consider. I don't like. I don't like dynasties. And if super rich guys want to be in politics, that's they have the freedom to do so. But starting to feel a little bit like we have. An oligarchy in this country, my friends. Oh wait, that's what Bernie Sanders always says. Is he going to say the same things about this billionaire,
0: billionaires, and millionaires?
1: Is he going to say the same thing? I, I think he most certainly uh, will. Because Bernie Sanders is Mister Grassroots Support. We'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the burn in just a moment. First, let's let's hear. Let's have a a moment where we can hear the the basic pitch from. I think they say he's worth 50. I read $50 billion is his estimate of worth today. But here is uh, here's what they say about Bloomberg. Or rather, here's what the Bloomberg campaign wants you to know. Play clip 16, please, sir.
0: But now he sees a different kind of menace coming from Washington. So there's no stopping here because there's an America waiting to be rebuilt where everyone without health insurance is guaranteed to get it. And everyone who likes theirs can go ahead and keep it. Where the wealthy will pay more in taxes, and the struggling middle class will get their fair share. And jobs that just allow you to get by will become jobs that let you get ahead. Mike Bloomberg for president, jobs creator, leader, problem solver. It's going to take all three to build back a country.
1: Now, this is true not just to Bloomberg, so I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pick on, on him or his campaign, although we will have some fun with that too. I, don't don't we all find it a little? Is, isn't it just a little corny? A little bit too too much pandering when they do this,
3: oh,
1: and like the you know the little the light piano playing and like this you know the this stuff. This is you know are, are we are we a bunch of kids that need to be entertained with these silly commercials? Now this is true. Apologies across the board. I understand people do this all the time, but it's all just so you know. Can't we just have a guy up there who's like, this is what I want to do. There we go. Leave it there. But they do these really produced, um, trying to, you know, these, these inspirational soundtrack stuff and, you know, fields of wheat. Well, what is it with everyone being obsessed with seeing fields of wheat all the time? Oh, it's like, what was the last time you went? I mean, some of you probably have. What was the last time you went crawling around in a field of, of corn or wheat? You know, it's been a while, I think.
4: Just yesterday.
1: No way. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Where were you?
4: I was uh, shucking corn.
1: Shucking corn. Like yeah, you were out, picking uh, out corn? in the fields
4: picking corn. Yep.
1: I didn't even know that. So I, apparently, that's why it's in the commercials because you never know when producer yes. Mark is going to be out. there. I'm a farmer in the field. Producer Brandon, when was the last time you went and picked corn? Zero times. So I'm just Mark is. I'm a, just amazed that Mark you believe is a Renaissance me. Renaissance man. Yeah. He does many things. You know, we we the, 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 us over here. We have Seamless on our phones, and uh, we order. They can bring me any different variety of...
4: Why do Seamless when I can skin my own cow?
1: Skin a cow? Yeah. You really had quite a weekend. I did, yep. Damn. All right, so I said we were going to get to the the burn. The burn doesn't like... Bernie Sanders is unhappy. Doesn't like the billionaires coming in? They're going to buy all the ad time? I don't know if I said ad time or air time. It could be either one, but... Here's the burn saying that Bloomberg doesn't have grassroots support. Play 13, sir.
3: Mr. Bloomberg, to the best of my knowledge, has very little grassroots support. But he has decided because he's worth $55 billion that he can run for president of the United States and spend more money on TV ads, I suspect, than a candidate in the history of the United States.
1: He is going to flood the airwaves with ads. I think that this is going to be a very instructive moment. Here's my prediction which I guess we can mark this down and try to remember this. Here's my prediction about where all this is going. Uh, I think that Bloomberg will spend more money than any candidate for the presidency in history, certainly. That's not a a bold—I mean, I think everyone thinks that. But I think that dollars in, dollars out, he will have the least effective presidential campaign in history in terms of the spending, how much money is spent and and what he actually gets— uh, as support, Let's just remember that you have, during this whole situation, uh, y- y- you have in the historical background, Jeb Bush, who spent, I think it was, now it wasn't his own money, it was money that had been raised from people who didn't realize that America was not ready for Jeb. But he spent $100 million, $100 million, and I think ended up getting uh Uh, the number of delegates you could count on one hand or something. I mean, it was a total bust. So you can spend, I mean, $100 million is a lot of cash for anybody. You could spend a lot. That was in a primary. It wasn't even a general election. Now, you're going to have billions of dollars spent, or you would expect there to be billions of dollars spent on ads and just everything for the campaigns on both sides of this going into 2020. It will be the most expensive campaign in history. I think there's no question about that. But with Bloomberg, he has the kind of money where he could finance the whole thing by himself. Remember, Trump would finance some aspects of his campaign. The campaign would reimburse him. Bloomberg will be in a position to spend it all himself, really. doesn't have to raise a dollar. He could. Bloomberg is rich enough. I mean, let's be honest. Trump does not have a liquid net worth, I don't think. I'm not trying to upset Trump, especially after he retweeted me four times in a row over the weekend. You see that, by the way? Four Presidential retweets wow. of the Buckster. Bam, bam, bam. In a Did you row. have to get
4: cleared by Secret Service or something for that? Like how does that work?
1: What do you mean? My retweets? Yeah. No, he can just retweet. Like, he just just does it.
4: He just does it? Okay. He,
1: he knows the oh, All right, he's I'm real. just yeah.
4: Making sure we're we're all kosher here.
1: President of the United States, leader of the free world producer Brandon. he's like this buck guy, I like his oh. Twitter game. Twitter game strong. Boom. So four in a row. It's pretty awesome, actually. I'm not gonna lie. I was in the gym, as one does. Course. And somebody was like, "Nice retweets." They texted me, and I said, "What?" And at for, at for, of course, at first, I'm like, "Oh God, what did I do now?" I look at it, I see the, you know, leader of the free world is like, "This guy, this guy Buck understands." Your phone me. must be blowing up. It was blowing up. It was quite fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't. It, it doesn't really followers. Yeah, I can never really tell. You know, and it, I should probably look at it. On the probably got a few hundred here. I'll here.
4: do some analytics for yeah, you. Yeah, you,
1: know, yeah. You, you do the things with the math, please. It's one of the reasons why we need producer Mark here. The math. Um, I don't do the maths. That's why I'm a radio host. So uh, Bloomberg can spend, though. He can spend. Oh, wait, I was saying about Trump. Trump was not about to write a check for a billion dollars to run for president out of his own funds. It wasn't going to happen. Bloomberg could do that. He could just be like, here it is. Here's a here's billion dollars for my president. And it wouldn't affect him or his lifestyle or anything else at all. When you're worth $50 billion, now it's Bloomberg's private company. It's not as simple as it was explained to me by somebody who knows more about this stuff than I do. It's not as simple uh, as just someone who's entirely liquid, uh, liquid net worth, like, say, Bill Gates, where he can, because it's a public company, you can just sell the stock. I mean, Bloomberg's a little different, but Bloomberg's super rich, super rich. 11th richest person in the country, I think, is what they say. So this guy can buy whatever he wants to in terms of media coverage. He also has a media organization, a global one, with... Well, the Bloomberg company employs 19,000 people is what I read this morning. So Bloomberg is going to be in a position to not only buy media coverage and advertisements and all the rest of it, but he also has a massive media organization that has said they're not going to investigate him, obviously, and they're also not going to investigate any other Democrats. So Bloomberg is supposed – the news organization of Bloomberg is supposed to be sitting on the side, but we'll have to see if that – how that plays out, I'm I'm certainly skeptical of it. So this guy, I think he's gonna spend a ton of money. It's not gonna work. But when you have got somebody with pockets this deep, this is different. This is different. Um, I I don't know what Steyer's net worth is, Bruce Mark. Could you check that for me? I think Steyer is worth. I mean, he's clearly also a because Bernie's like he's a billionaire. He's on the stage because it's got the billiards. Uh, but I think Steyer is worth. Of, actually I don't want to say he he's a hedge fund you never know with these guys what is Tom Steyer's net worth because that, that'll matter to our because he's going nowhere with any of this
4: 1.6 billion
1: exactly what I thought a billion <laughs> come on I mean what a what a poor fellow I feel terrible Only for a him a billion dollars Ugh. what a what a it schmoke. must be tough living life like that it's tough 1 billion see see when you're worth 1 billion dollars Maybe you'll spend like uh fifty to hundred million on your political aspirations, maybe. But you're not going to spend more than that. You're not going to spend more. You know, you're not going to spend half your net worth to try to be president when you got almost no shot. When you're worth fifty billion dollars, you may, in fact, say, "Eh, let's spend a billion dollars on this campaign." So. We, we will really test out. Oh, also, it'll be fun to hear Democrats all of a sudden get quiet about money and politics. I mean, the, his opponents won't be quiet about it, but usually the media is, oh, money and politics and billionaires buy everything with their money. And all. Wait, wait, oh, you mean that there are super rich liberals out there and they're constantly trying to influence the national conversation? They control most of the major or, or own outright most of the major media outlets in this country. Wow, there are liberal billionaires that are injecting money into things all over America. It's not—it's not just the Koch brothers, who, by the way, are socially liberal and open borders. And I mean, to call them conservative is—is is a stretch in many ways. So, I would just note that uh, Bloomberg, just based on his cash flow, could be able to make a lot of noise on this one. But now we can move on to what does he stand for? Now, I was on the New York City subway this morning. And it was delayed, which, quite to producer Mark's chagrin, because he likes to keep it—he likes to run a tight ship here in the Freedom Hut. So I was a little bit late, but it wasn't my fault. You know, it was, it was the fault of the stinky, uh, the, the stinky, inefficient, union contract-laden, and really embarrassingly inefficient New York City subways. Subway.
4: Interesting. I saw that the line that you uh, you ride—I won't say it on the air—but. Uh it, it was fine this morning.
1: False. Yeah. The E train was delayed. There were no delays. There was a delay. I'm just I he can I was there, man. I saw it. I was I was dealing I with think
4: it. Buck was home combing his hair, brushing his teeth, you know, taking time. extra time.
1: So. Yeah. I bring you that New York City has its uh, has its problems to be sure. Bloomberg as a mayor in a left-wing monoculture, right? In, in a left-wing uh Political atmosphere where there's really no conservative. Oh, remember he was a. I can't. Was he a Republican or an independent when he was mayor here? I think he was tactically. He
4: was a Republican. He ran he Republican. Was a Republican, yeah.
1: right? Yeah. And then because he's like switch. He's one of these guys who switch parties a bunch of times. Okay. So he's He was a Republican mayor, but he was. He's not a Republican. In no ways, this guy. He's just a, was a Republican because it was easy for him with the party system here. But he is a pretty as statists go. And he is uh, an, he is a in his mind a benevolent authoritarian. As statists go, he is not grotesquely incompetent the way that say uh, Mayor Moron, what's his name, uh, De Blasio. Yeah, they know we all everyone in New York. The great thing about De Blasio is he unifies people. You could be walking around. I could sit down and talk to y- your run of the mill New York City lib. You know, who's like climate change and everything's all scary and all. Oh, Trump is Hitler. They say all these things. But I can look at them like, hey, we de Blasio is an idiot. Right. They're like, oh, my gosh, de Blasio is a buffoon. So at least everyone can be united on, on that front. Uh, and, and the city has shown some of the lack of uh, of acumen, that lack, lack of of skill, governing skill that de Blasio brought to bear. Bloomberg was pretty good in some ways. I, I I can't just lie to you and pretend that Bloomberg was a bad mayor. I actually technically, I mean, I work for the police commissioner, but uh, the police commissioner works for the mayor, so in a sense, I worked for Bloomberg at one point in the NYPD intelligence division as an analyst. So not a very long time, about a year, but the truth is, he was a good. He was a well. He was a pretty well liked mayor, even by by rank and file officers. They said the guy's pretty good. He believes in, you know, clean streets and Effective police and trains running on time and all that kind of stuff. So. As a mayor, he wasn't he wasn't bad. I I can't tell you he's a bad mayor. that wouldn't be true. Much better than the current mayor of New York City, the largest city in the country. As a possible national level political figure. I mean, he's a he's an orthodox lib. He is everything that you think of when you think of the uh, progressives in America today on. The on the various issues outside of uh, perhaps some ability to balance a checkbook, which he does have. I mean, he he does look at math and has some understanding of, of what works, what doesn't work. But, I mean, on gun control, he's he's maniacal. I mean, he is a truly anti-Second Amendment guy. On the environment, he's a total believer in climate change. On taxation, he wants the rich to pay more in taxes, he says, but, if they I, I wish they would just understand that you know they keep saying the rich need to pay more in taxes, and then they want to raise taxes on on people with a household income of you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or something. That doesn't make you rich. It makes you well off. I get it. But you're not rich. there There is no place in America where you make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in one year and you're you're good. You don't have to work anymore. It doesn't exist. You're not rich. Um, you know, now sometimes they say they'll raise it to five hundred thousand dollars a year for household, but the point is they 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 talk about taxing people at Bloomberg's level, and they love to do this. I mean, this is a great way to virtue signal. Bloomberg does it. Um, uh, Warren Buffett does it. Oh, I wish I wish they would charge you more in taxes. They could write whatever they want. They could send any check for any size they want. To the, I mean, after they've paid what's due and owed. But they could donate a billion dollars a year to the federal government just to help out, you know, just to kind of deal with the deficit a little bit. They're always going to be raising taxes on people in ways that affect far beyond the circle that they talk about of of the very rich, the very wealthy. Um, So he is a he's a doctrinaire liberal on almost all of the major issues in this campaign. I mean, I'm sure he's a sanctuary city guy. He's a climate change guy. He's an anti Second Amendment guy. He wants uh, saying he's going to give health care for everybody. We got to see more of the details in his plan but he is interesting in this whole race insofar as he has so much money and seems so committed to this that even if his campaign itself is a whole bunch of nothing, he may be in a position to change things for you know for other, For the other candidates, you know, he could be a spoiler in some way that we can't yet see. That's what I think is most likely here. And he's going to spend more money than probably anybody else. And they certainly I mean more of his own money than anybody else in the history of political campaigns. So people will call it a vanity run. You can tell the Democrat establishment, but the Democrat establishment doesn't like this. I don't Not at all. They're not going to be fans of this. Uh, There are a lot of people who are involved in. Getting access to different Democrat a lot of people that are involved in these things, and they are not going to like that Mayor Bloomberg, former Mayor Bloomberg, I should say, doesn't have to go through them. So he's, even though he's a Democrat and he's a a liberal, he's from outside the apparatus. So a lot of the DNC folks are going to look at this and say, uh-uh, they want to shut this thing down. Oh, by the way, I wanted to just weigh in on a story that we had mentioned here on the show, and it somehow continues to be a story. Uh, this rep- former Representative uh, Katie, uh, Katie Hill, she was uh, engaged in a it was a a consensual, but a sexual relationship with a subordinate on her staff, which is a clear, you know, black and white letter of the law violation uh, of congressional Ethics standards. Congress says you can't do this. You're not allowed to be a congressman and have a relationship with somebody who you have the power of hiring, firing, promoting on your congressional staff paid for by the taxpayer. You can't do it. She did it. There's no dispute about this. Ah, But she's a Democrat. She's a woman. And there's always a way to spin this stuff. There's always a way to make it useful for the narrative. And the story has somehow become that Katie Hill is a victim. Initially, it was that she was a victim of revenge porn, which is a very odious practice where someone takes, you know, intimate photos or something that you had consented to for, you know, private purposes, and then someone just releases it. Out. It's, it's a very dishonorable and gross thing to do. Uh, but keep in mind, I mean, that's not the fault of anybody who is saying that she should resign from her job in Congress, which she did. Because she was having a sexual relationship with a subordinate on her staff, which is not allowed. That 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 is the underlying issue here. But they've tried to turn her into some kind of a a feminist liberal martyr. And Brad Stelter asked her about this, uh, and and this is where the problem. Play play clip five.
4: What should people understand about what it's like? Uh, to see these websites publishing intimate photos, or what it's like to be attacked on Fox News. There's multiple layers here, but what should people know about that experience?
0: Uh, I think it's the it, you know it's it's one of the darkest things that you can experience, and you know I think that this is. What we have to think about is that this isn't just happening to me, right? This is happening to girls and women across the country. um and you know that's why we see and and I was asked about this all the time on the campaign trail by really young you know teenagers and girls who are um who you know who who experience cyberbullying in different capacities and who are saying that this is a uh, what are you going to do about this? Right. And we don't have an answer for that. So we need to figure out that fight. But you also see it as a tactic that is constantly used by the right. Um, look at what they're doing to the witnesses on the impeachment inquiry. Look at what they're doing to, uh, you know, to to try to silence anybody who speaks out in a way that they don't like.
1: So she broke congressional rules. No question. She. You could argue, you know, was in a in a, in a, a sexual relationship with somebody in her staff that is. You know, just ethically inappropriate in general. She could hire and fire the person. And she's a victim now. But I love this. A victim of the right and Fox News. Everybody gets to be a victim. Even the victimizer, if it's a liberal and a female, gets to be the victim all of a sudden. What is this? She resigned. She lost her job. Oh, Jenk Uygur. Uh, the Young Turks guy, he's apparently running for her seat. So, California, you need your head examined. All right, team, we have to update you on the story of Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher. Uh, this has gotten attention all the way up the chain to the president of the United States. Uh, this has now led to the firing of the chief of the Navy. I want to bring in somebody who can tell us exactly what's going on here because he's been talking to the fam- the Gallagher family all along, very involved in this. Our friend Tyler Merritt, he is the founder and CEO of Nine Line Apparel. He's a former special operations pilot. Uh, Tyler, thanks for giving us some of your time. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be right. back. Can just for everybody listening, what give us the, uh, you know, a, a, a short but a, a a review of what happened with Chief Gallagher and leave out, you know, the last few days, but just how did he find himself in the in the
0: crosshairs of the
1: United States military justice system, yeah,
0: I think it's a really systemic issue that, that needs to be exposed. You have senior leaders in the military that like to make careers uh, out of cases like this. You know that you have legal officers who've never stepped foot in combat who get wind of some allegations, but rather than investigate them properly prior to bringing charges, as in done in a civilian court, the UCMJ process is very archaic and hasn't been updated in quite some time. And I hope that when the American public really look into this issue and when they read Gallagher's book, which I I hope comes out in in the near future, they'll see just how messed up this is. Because nowhere in the civilian world can you try to put a mole in the jury pool, you know, from your senior leadership, say, hey, I want you to be on the jury and find this guy guilty regardless of the facts. Nowhere in the civilian world can you go and spy on the opposing counsel's computer, go see everything they're typing, everything they have in their file, so you know what their plan is going to court. And these things occurred. These are the things that we were about to expose prior to uh, the, the Secretary of the Navy resigning. And that's just a few of the instances that uh, you know, led to this. But Eddie Gallagher didn't murder anyone. He was actually trying to save the ISIS fighter's life at the behest of the Iraqi general uh, and, and his comrade. Uh, Another Navy SEAL actually suffocated this individual as a mercy kill because they knew that this Iraqi general was going to continue to torture, uh, most likely rape, until they got all the information out of this 15-year-old ISIS fighter, uh, and and he decided to uh, put him out of that misery. You know, this individual has already been hit by a a hellfire missile that we fired into his compound because he was carrying a cell phone that we were tracking, and he's a bad guy, regardless of his age. Uh, And and that's what... War. war is absolute hell. And, and and I hope everyone understands that people like Eddie, war fighters, they don't want to go to war, but they're willing and able to do the things that are necessary to keep us safe.
1: Now, he was found not guilty of those charges, as I understand it, but they did get him. Uh, they did find a guilty verdict on the charge of posing with a corpse. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the picture, it's Eddie and 11 other individuals to include his superior officers. And at the behest of that senior leadership, he did pose with that dead ISIS fighter. And that is... Not, uh, you know, anything that justifies it, but he was one of many that did this. And just so everyone understands, he's the only one who is found guilty of this crime. Um, and, and that is not good order order discipline. How good is that possible? How, to how could you,
1: sorry to interrupt, Tyler, but I just want to understand. How could one guy in a photo with a bunch of other guys be found guilty for being in a photo and then don't bring charges against anybody else?
0: Well, let's take a step back. So at this point, uh, they just think that the senior leadership, the JAG attorneys trying to make their career case, they think that they have this uh, slam dunk uh, case. When the evidence starts to come out, they don't want to acknowledge it. When they start to realize that the narrative that they were fed was a false narrative, the facts that they thought they were had were not facts, they found only one thing that they could find him absolutely guilty on because it's a picture, right? So this is a court martial that's going on, of the many, many charges that were levied against him after he spent nine months in prison, the only one that they could find him guilty on was this one. So, rather than going and charging the rest of the platoon, they just decided we're going to use this one charge that we could find him guilty on, and we're going to try to exact as much punishment as we can on this individual, because he's embarrassed us. He's went on TV, he's made us look bad, and now you have egos involved. You have Admiral Green, who is a very Egocentric individual who is uh turned out to be just one of the most despicable commanders. If you look at what he was doing to Eddie, usurping the commander-in-chief's intent, uh, this individual had at just one thing out in mind for Eddie and destroy his life. So if he couldn't put him in prison and Eddie embarrassed him, well, by darn, I'm gonna reduce his rank. And they did. And when the president says Give him his rank back. That's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: hold on. I because I, I want to ask about the president. So President Trump did intervene even before the issue of rank, as I understand it. And remember, we're speaking to Tyler Merritt. He's a former special operations pilot. He's the CEO of Nine Line Apparel. You guys see me wearing the t-shirts on a fair basis, on a, a fairly regular basis on Instagram. Um, uh, I want to ask you where did the president first come in? Because my understanding is, Tyler, that Trump made sure that Eddie's confinement wasn't as punitive and, and essentially uh, wasn't locked in with a bunch of like rapists and murderers?
0: What happened? So just so you know, in the very beginning, uh, there was a narrative pushed to the president that said, hey, there's a, there's a video out there. It's really bad. It uh, basically shows Eddie killing this guy and just don't intervene. And we, I actually got to see the, the video before the president, and we made sure that he was able to see it. And it essentially exonerates Eddie. Uh, and at that point, he intervened and said, get this man out of prison. Yeah, let him go through the court-martial. Uh, he'll be fine, not guilty. You know, let due process occur. But get him out of prison, because he should have never been there. So instead of getting him out of prison and let him go home to see his family, they get him out of prison and create a new prison on base. They put him in confinement, commensurate with prison. So he couldn't leave. He couldn't go anywhere. No one could come and see him. But he was in barracks instead of a jail cell, which is basically the same if you've ever lived in barracks. Then the president said, that's ridiculous. Let him have the free ability to go meet with counsel. Because at this point, he wasn't even allowed to talk to his lawyers without someone from the chain of command who is spying on him, listening to every single word. Eddie had to talk in code. Whenever I talked to him, he had to talk in code. And they listened and eavesdropped to every conversation. They listened, and they wouldn't give him a computer to talk to his attorney. They were trying to restrict him from having any ability to defend himself. The president intervened again, said, this will stop and they eventually allowed him to do that. Then he goes through the court-martial. Then he gets found not guilty of all charges except this one. And then they decide to exact revenge by taking away his rank and trying to have him retire as an E6 rather than an E8. And they, then when they heard that the president was going to restore his rank, one day prior to that, they submitted his paperwork for retirement as an E6. And Eddie has spent the last several weeks trying to get that undone so he can retire as an E-8 after the president ordered that he be restored of rank. And then because they couldn't do anything else, they wanted to unceremoniously kick him out of the Navy and not as a Navy SEAL uh, and take away his trident. You know, one last just slap in the face to not only Eddie, but the president of the United States. And then you have one last text and tweet from him, I'm sure hoping that the SEC Navy would step in and stop this ridiculousness, basically saying, Eddie needs to be left alone. Go about your business. Hey, Secretary Navy, you're already over budget. You're doing a horrible job uh, running the Navy. Recruitment is going to be hurt forever, trying to get your young men and women to join the elite forces of the Navy, because we've shown to the American public, we don't have your back. You're going to go overseas and be expected to navigate the atrocities of war and hope that when you return, you don't go to jail for the rest of your life. Because Eddie would have went to jail for the rest of his life if he was found guilty.
1: Yeah, he was accused initially of premeditated murder, and attempted murder. So, you know, the initial charges were as severe Mm -hmm. as it gets. And then he ends up mandatory minimum, life in jail. Yeah, and they they wanted to get him on just something. So now you have the Navy Secretary Richard Spencer, who I think you said resigned. My understanding is he was he was fired. I mean, he wrote a resignation letter after being told you're done. So I guess we could say you know did he resign? Was he fired?
0: You go back and forth with, but he's out for sure. Oh, he was fired. Yeah, Yeah, he was was fired Um, two days ago. He said, "I'm not resigning." I am in my position, and I serve at the, the, the will and the pleasure of the President of the United States. Well, guess what? Uh, the, the, the President was not pleased with your subordinates completely disregarding his intent, which his intent was very clear. Whether it's in a tweet or an official memorandum, go back to business. Leave Eddie Gallagher alone. He wants to protect our warfighters. They have gone and done honorable things. Eddie did not dishonor himself by taking just one picture. Maybe it was a lapse in judgment. Maybe he should have walked away. He was amongst a chain of command that endorsed it. And I'm not going to say that it was right or wrong, but let's go back to, say, Vietnam era. Eddie's not chopping off ears and making necklaces. He's not uh, glorifying this death. They, They closed with, and they killed the enemy. And a lot of times it's used for biometrics. Um, but in this case, it, it was probably not the greatest decision. But to single out one individual because you couldn't find him guilty based on a false narrative, you know, that just goes to show that these Navy prosecutors, they had every intent of making a name for themselves because they're not war fighters. Yeah, I was going to ask, Mattel, you, you, you were
1: a war fighter, and you were a Apache pilot, and you served, in, you served in combat. And I, I just want to know... Why would the secretary of the Navy here, this guy, Spence, former now secretary of the Navy, uh, write this letter where he talks about, I think it was good discipline and order or something that civilians, a a phrase that I'm sure military hears all the time.
0: What, What is he trying to say with that? It's a catch-all. It's, uh, it's when you can't find a reason to uh, get someone in trouble. You just say it's this generalized good order and discipline. And right now, they're still planning on taking the tridents of two other individuals that weren't even in that picture. They weren't even there. They were just testifying on Eddie's behalf that he is a good soldier that he is an honorable navy seal. And because of that, they're going to take their trident. They went against the chain of command. And I'll tell you Eddie walks around, you know, Coronado in the seal base. He's getting high fives, he's getting bro hugs. The general military population supports Eddie Gallagher because they've been in his shoes. Your elitist, non-combatant military members they are the problem these are the navy jag corps that will go from being defender you know they'll, they'll they'll be on the defense team then they'll be on the prosecution team which is again very different than the civilian world and they want to make a name for themselves And a case like this this is a career making case if they win uh so win at all costs despite the evidence tyler Merritt, everybody ceo of nine
1: line apparel uh, also former vet, or a veteran, rather, himself. Tyler, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Have a good day. It is fascinating to watch Democrats uh, show us what their party is really all about in this primary. You see a lot of really insane positions getting airtime and support from mainstream Democratic candidates. You also see what is considered heresy with the Democratic Party, which I think in some ways is even more interesting. You have, for example, um, well, Joy Reid on MSNBC, which is very concerned with making sure that whoever wins the Democratic primary will be someone that MSNBC staff and people that work for the MSNBC on and off camera support. They want to have those that, that connectivity to the, to whoever the Democrat candidate is because there's money involved as well as ideological reasons for this. Right. The access for these uh, journos is very, very important. Uh, Joy Reid is perhaps most famous, at least in my mind, most famous for claiming that people hacked her blog from 10 years ago. And in her voice, in her pieces that she had posted on her on her blog, added homophobic slurs. So that's right. Some, somebody went with like a, hackers with like a time machine here somehow went back in time and changed what was published there i i don't understand how anybody could take this person seriously at this point as a uh, tv pundit she said that the fbi was investigating that was her claim and and it managed i remember i talked to tucker carlson on a show about it i said tucker she's going to get away with this because this is now the this is the escape hatch oh well uh, you know uh, the fbi is looking at it Uh, no none of the fbi to look at her you know i've asked for an fbi investigation okay I mean, I could ask for nuclear physicists to show up at my house tomorrow and build a reactor. I don't think that we're going to be doing fission in Buck's living room anytime soon, though. But I asked for it. So, you know, I've done my part. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Uh, But here's what she said about, you know, they they don't like Tulsi and they don't like Yang. And it's because they have some very small number of heterodox views. Yang and Tulsi are libs, progressives, no question. But they don't like that they they stray from acceptable left wing orthodoxy on some of these issues. Uh, So we have, for example, Joy Reid here uh, saying this of Tulsi Gabbard. Play clip three, please.
0: She uses the term regime change
2: wars a lot, which is a common term, in my understanding, of the way that Russia talks about the United States.
3: If you listen to that rhetoric, you would think that the U.S. started a war in Syria, which did not happen. That was part of the Arab Spring. If you remember, if we rewind all this, that war has been going on for so long now that that was part of the Tunisian, Libyan, Egyptian, Syria, Yemen. There are many uprisings that happened during that time. The U.S. didn't start those.
1: Oh, boy. First of all, First of all, let's let's just be very clear about this. Uh, she is saying here. Joy Reed is saying here that it's a talking point. It's a talking point from Russia to bring up regime change wars, which liberals have been talking about regime change wars for years for years. I mean, and now all of a sudden it's a Russia talking point? And then I don't even know who the host—I uh, just have the audio. I don't know who the other host is. Some uh, Someone on MSNBC. He goes, yes, well, you know, we didn't start— Yeah, Tulsi's point—I can't believe I'm sitting here defending Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi's point is that if we stay in Syria long enough, the only way— That we could have a long term plan that doesn't involve us just fighting a defensive war over territory that is not U.S. territory that we don't want would be if we get rid of we help get rid of the Assad regime, which was the Obama administration's policy. Assad has got to go. That's what they were saying. That's what they wanted to do. We armed opposition there. So it was a regime change. they don't even know what they're talking about. It is a regime change war, depending on when you're talking about it and what the circumstances of U.S. military intervention are. And uh, this is a Russia talking point. I mean, here I am having to defend you know, Tulsi and Yang from Democrats saying crazy stuff about them. But they, they're they forget the most important thing. And this is really I said they have heterodox views that might even be giving Yang and Tulsi too much credit. But they've forgotten this. Getting Trump and defeating Trump and, and crushing Trump, destroying The uh, Trump movement is all that matters. That is all. Everything else is just who cares if it is effective as a weapon against Trumpism, if if it is effective as a means of preventing the president from winning the next election. That is what matters. That is what is real to Democrats. That's it. Everything else is uh, some distant who cares situation and yang and tulsi don't fit into that enough and that's really why they're a problem for the left that's really why they upset as many Democrats, particularly in the media, as they do.
3: Americans tuned in to the debate earlier this week, and they saw that I got called on less than any other candidate, including candidates that I'm polling higher than. And the questions I did get had virtually nothing to do with the core ideas of my campaign. And if this were an isolated incident, that would be one thing. But if you go back over the last number of months, MSNBC has literally omitted me from over a dozen fundraising and polling graphics, which It's not about me. It's about the 300,000-plus Americans who've donated to and support my campaign and the millions of Americans who know we need to rewrite the rules of the 21st century economy to work for us. Think about those people donating $10, $20 of their hard-earned money to put a candidate on the stage and then have MSNBC virtually ignore me for 32 minutes or... When they tune into MSNBC to see how we're doing in the polls, it's like I don't exist. And you can go through the records. You can see they've done it to me over and over again. And I'm not the kind of guy who takes offense easily. But at this point, you have to call it like you see it.
1: He's right, by the way, because I've seen it. I've seen the polls that he's talking about. or I've seen the particularly on fundraising numbers. They'll have like the big five, whoever that would be. At the, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, from memory, I think it was you know Biden, Warren, Bernie, Buttigieg, and I think maybe it was Harris at the time. And meanwhile, he was like ahead of uh, Harris in, in fundraising for that quarter or for that month or whatever. I mean, they they keep doing this. They keep excluding this guy from not not sub not the subjective. Oh, who are we going to do a profile on today? Those are the ways that bias. Can be very present in journals covering these things, but it's harder to call that out because there's no hard and fast data that we're talking about, right? When you, but when it's fundraising numbers, which has to be shared by the campaigns, is out there, and you're going to do, you know, number the top five fundraisers, and you actually go one, two, three, four, and then number six, and you leave that under Yang, and this happens again and again. You start to think, what's the problem here? What exactly are they and it's because he's not of the establishment you have to remember all these journos these media organizations uh these democrat consultants and pollsters this is all uh a a real level of society unto itself you know this is an echelon of american political culture and they know each other there's a lot of insider baseball inside baseball stuff that goes on here and yang is not from within that culture so they don't particularly like him he doesn't seem like he's going to be the uh windfall for a lot of the established democrat consultants in the space and all the rest of it he's shown a willingness to talk to conservatives in media i've interviewed andrew yang i think at least once maybe twice can't remember now but he'll talk to people on the other side which democrats don't like that anymore they they don't they don't want that to happen you you anger them when you do this Um, But as I pointed out to you before, I mean, his biggest sin as far as they're concerned is that Andrew Yang believes, (laughs) I'm sitting here, I I should be like doing PR for the guy, but I'm really not. I just think that we're seeing what the reality, he exposes realities of, of the Democratic Party today that we should be aware of. And what he shows us is that it doesn't matter if you're somebody who wants to, put more money in the pockets of or put more food on the table of working people and you want to do something the Democrats aspirationally claim, you know, they say they want to do these things. That doesn't matter if you aren't on the same sheet of music, if you're not on board for destroying Trump, first and foremost. I mean, here's we play play clip 11. Here's here's Yang's greatest
3: sin. I am on board with impeachment. I think that Democrats are right to move forward. We have to face facts that not a single Republican has crossed party lines to support these impeachment proceedings. And we need literally dozens of Republican senators to join the Democrats in the Senate if impeachment is going to be successful. So we have to be realistic about what the prospects are. And to me, my focus as a candidate is solving the problems that got Donald Trump elected in the first place and helping move the country forward. When we're talking about Donald Trump, we are losing and that includes in the context of impeaching Donald Trump. We need a new positive vision that Americans can see themselves in, a new way forward. No, Democrats aren't okay with this. No positive vision,
1: no way forward, no alternative uh alternative view for the for the country's future. Destroy Trump. That's all that matters. And you're not allowed to say things like, look, he says he's for impeachment. I know, but he's like, but I mean, come on, guys, like, it's really where is this really going? Huh? Not allowed to do that. Got to wait till this thing is over before he can point out how much of an exercise in sound and fury signifying nothing this whole proceeding really is. When we are talking about Donald Trump, we are losing. And that includes the context of impeaching Donald Trump. That's right. Not okay for Democrats. They don't want to hear that. Pelosi and Schiff and all the rest of them, they don't want to be told that there's anything more important than impeaching Trump and that anybody would even say that maybe this isn't going to work out with the Democrats' plan. He's, he's unacceptable to them. Uh, but there was another another moment that really just caught my attention before we move on to some other important things here. Uh, Kamala Harris, who I think people have just figured out that they really, the, the media, the... Uh the elites within the Democratic Party really wanted Harris to get a lot of support and they they had this feeling that maybe Harris would be able to make it all come together, make it all happen right um, They really wanted that, and yet she's just not a very talented politician she just doesn't have it it does there's it's not there for whatever reason uh, she has not caught really any momentum they've just been pushing her along hoping that she's going to be somebody who is a formidable candidate and if anything she's probably heard her long-term political aspirations with this presidential run not quite as much as beto o'rourke but certainly i think you could you could argue this has been a net negative for uh kamala harris but she said that and she said this and i can tell you there are not going to be any journos who push on this they're not going to ask any real questions of her relating to this but uh she <laughs> she said this about drug companies and you've just got you got to hear this play four
2: but essentially what we're going to do is set drug prices so that american consumers are charged a price for the drugs that's the average price is being charged around the globe yes. and, we're to, and there's a huge difference <laughs> insulin being an example The other thing is this, if people don't want to cooperate with that, I'm also going to do the next thing, which is this, a lot of drugs, prescription medication, was born out of federal funding for the research and development of that drug. Your taxpayer dollars. So for any drug... Where they failed pay by our rules. And if that drug came about because of federal funding for what's called R and D research and development, I will snatch their patent. So that we will take over. And yes we can do that. Yes, yes we can do that. Yes we can do that. It's what it's the question is do you have the will to do it? I have the will to do it.
1: She has the will to do it nationalizing drug companies is how far away from this we're just going to take it government's just going to take it this is a glimpse into the kind of authoritarian socialism that you can expect will be increasingly prominent for democrats if they get their way and if they are back in power we're just going to snatch their patent i mean the patent is a protection of private property it's like saying, well, we're just going to snatch the contract that says we're going to pay them X amount of dollars and just say, sorry, you don't have that anymore. It's going to snatch their patents away. But Elizabeth Warren does this, too. This is this is the this is the uh, the wellspring of so much socialist policy. It's a justification for any socialist policy that they can they can conjure up to say that the the you know, the roads. It's not that a private company created a new service. And will provide the American people with with, you know, this this incredible bounty of the last hundred years, thanks to capitalism in America. I mean, this country has just been on an economic growth tear. I mean, we have been doing so well. Uh, but they can come along now. The Democrats, the statists will come along and say that even if your company didn't get a government grant, and she's talking here about, oh, research that, a lot of research into drugs comes from other research. So how many layers of research removed does it have to be from government sponsored research for you to get your patent? She also just has no idea really what she's talking about with R&D and drugs. I mean, this is just something that she's come up with to say, we're just going to make the drug companies charge you uh, charge you less based on political whim. What do you think that's going to do? to those very, very expensive processes in place that are FDA-required and mandated for new drug approvals. From start to finish, they estimate it takes about a billion dollars to get a new drug to market. It's very expensive. And it is not the rest of the world that is coming up with all kinds of new pharmaceuticals and miracle drugs and things all the time. America leads the way in that because of the capitalist system that we have. But but as, uh, as I look at this, I have to say, I, I find it... Um, Disconcerting how quickly you will hear Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and others resort to, well, even if that company didn't get government loans or it wasn't a joint public private venture or anything like that, because their workers went to public school mostly and because they drove on roads that the federal government, you know, set up and because they used, you know, phone lines because their parents were drawing Social Security checks, you know, whatever. We basically all own it. What they're doing is just making an argument about collectivism, a collective ownership of property, because I could make that argument about absolutely anything now. So what is private and what is public just becomes a function of what the people in power, what the libs, the left, says at any point in time. Is your house really your house or is your house the result of government loans over time? Government workers that are getting, you know, support and subsidy from whether it's from straight up welfare programs or from entitlement programs or, you know, your house is only valuable because of the power lines that have been run through the neighborhood because of the street that was paved in front of it because of the workers that built your house who were. Uh, raised, going to public schools in America, paid for by taxpayer dollars. You know, Some of them maybe grew up in public housing, whatever, it, whatever the case may be. You can always find a way to justify this. Well, it's not really your house. And I would note that there already is, an, is a concern and argument that it's not really your house because because of taxes, where you pay property taxes, you rent your house, even if you own it from the government. Because you have to pay for those government services for that house at any point in time. You don't even own your house. So we're already much closer to collective ownership in many ways in the government's eyes than we realize. But now they're saying it so openly. Now they're telling us that at any point in time, they may just decide that that's not really yours. Whatever that company asset is, it's not really yours. The public needs it more. This mentality was even enshrined uh, by a very poor Supreme Court decision where uh, that said that if there is an eminent domain for private use even, then they can seize property. You know, if they're if they're going to build a mall that's really helpful for the neighborhood and they got to get rid of your house, well then they're going to take take your house. So much for private property rights. Not for even government purpose, for private purpose. So this we have been losing our rights to private property for a long time and the discourse around it now is just becoming more open and really more aggressive. You know, this is Obama's you didn't build that. You didn't build that. You huh? know? It was all the other people that that did stuff before you. I mean, you could say that I haven't achieved, none of us have achieved anything in our lives because it was only a result of the United States government mobilizing and winning the Second World War and defeating fascism that we, we even aren't sitting around speaking German today, right? So, I mean, we didn't do anything. Thank you, government, for everything. Oh, bow down and worship at the altar of government because without government action, none of us would be here. I mean, this is absurd. There are no outer limits. There's no limiting principle to this theory. But Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and others will say it. We'll take your patent. We'll take whatever we want to take because it's not really yours. They also think this way about taxes. You'll notice that, too. Tax cuts are an expense, they will say. Um, No, expenses are expenses. Tax cuts is taking less from you. But the way that this is framed, you start to see that the people who really believe that government is capable of creating utopia if only given the power and should be involved in every aspect of our lives, they also believe that your property is only whatever the government deigns to let you keep. That has not worked out very well in other places.
2: Let's talk about the fact that in America, it is a tragedy that women make only 80 cents on the dollar, but black women are making 61 cents on the dollar. And we could go on and on down the list talking about the fact that when we talk about what we need, what we want, and who we are in terms of leadership, there is incredible work that is happening, and there is so much work to be done.
1: Do you think any journals will ask Kamala Harris about this statistic? A lot of your business owners who listen to this, I know, because you write in, you tell me about it. Um also just based on the fact that we got hundreds of thousands of people listening across the country I figure that some of your own owning businesses uh, if you could if you could get somebody to do the exact same quality of work and I mean for any of your employees you get the exact same quality of work the same hours the same uh, same work uh, history and expertise beforehand and you could you could save 40 percent in labor costs. Would you pass that up? I mean, think about this. How? Because the the allegation here is that it's discrimination. It's discrimination against particularly uh, African-American women in this case. Even if somebody was, and and I'm not conceding this, even if somebody was uh, a bit discriminatory in their outlook, the idea of saving 40 cents on the dollar for an employee would be a counter counterweight uh, to their decision making, you would think. Maybe this is just nonsense, just like the pay gap is nonsense. This is not true. If people could get the same work, the same labor for 40 percent less or even whatever it is, 20 or 30 percent less. They would say, uh, business owners want to make money. They would say, I want to do that. But no one's going to challenge Kamala Harris on this. No one's going to challenge her on it. All the studies they use to come up with these numbers are nonsense. It, it makes no differentiation about, about previous work history, about hours in the office, about, you know, they just, they're just cooking the books on this all the time. But we have to keep hearing this. And they never push back on The lies. And then they lecture us about how Trump lies so much. Just how crazy are the climate change loons? You know that I like talking about how nuts they are because they are. Uh, They rallied around a 16-year-old girl as a spokesperson for an issue of uh, tremendous scientific and uh, economic and financial importance on a global scale. Let's let's take what the 16-year-old says seriously. Because serious adults would listen to a 16-year-old about those issues. Uh, they don't seem to care how silly, how foolish they look. And that is extending now even to uh, things that I had thought were, I guess, somewhat sacred still in America. You had activists. And I don't watch college football, which I know. And those of you who love it. God bless, and I'm glad you enjoy it so much. Uh, I went to a school with 1,600 people, and who cares about the football team at a school with 1,600 people? It's just it's just you can't. So I have, I had no uh, collegiate excitement about sports of any kind, really, but particularly about... I like to play them. I just didn't really like to watch other people play them. Uh, and then the Harvard-Yale game. Harvard-Yale game. Oh, hello, Harvard-Yale. It's so fun. We all travel to the game and the servants bring little umbrellas to hold over us. Oh, well, I guess it's cold, so probably. The servants bring little heaters, little hot water bottles for us. Make sure that our martinis are just so. i was kidding. I mean, Harvard Yale Give, I'm sure people have a lot of fun. Um, but they didn't have that much fun that, well, there was at least a, a period where they weren't able to have as much fun because there was an hour delay I would have been very unhappy with this. An hour delay when Yale and Harvard, or when students from these schools rushed the field at the end of halftime and sat in the center of the field. This is the super fancy Ivy League school equivalent of lying down in traffic to prevent more cars from getting by. I mean, this is pay attention to us or else. Um, here's, uh, here's the audio as it was happening. Play clip two, please.
3: The game currently going on in New Haven, Connecticut, is in a delay over on ESPNU. There are protesters on the field attempting to bring
0: more attention to climate change. Lots of protesters on the field inside the Yale Bowl.
1: Protesters on the field trying to bring attention to climate change. Now it's pretty cold out there. And people want to watch their football. An hour-long delay. That's a long delay. I mean, how long is a football halftime year? just like 15 minutes, right? Yes. Right. So this was an hour. I would be very upset at these people. Um, this would. What, producer Mark, what would you do if somebody went out there and and slipped out onto the ice in the middle of a very important hockey game?
4: Well, that would probably never happen, but I'd be very angry. would
1: be very angry. Well, I guess because also there's, like, the plexiglass. It'd be a little harder. Yeah, run. you would have to jump
4: over it or get past and security you know and open the gate. It'd be a whole thing.
1: protesters out because their behinds are going to get pretty cold sitting down on that ice. Yeah, and
4: they probably slip immediately. They're not yeah, smart enough would... to have the spiky shoes on. That's true. It wouldn't yeah. work
3: that well.
1: Football, unfortunately, far too easy to do this, and that is what happened. And if you were wondering, what is it? What is it exactly that uh, these students want they wrote a letter to let us know or i'm sorry an editorial probably a letter too but an editorial in the guardian we have a couple of students here from i think harvard and yale or whatever by the way these these are not serious just so you understand these are not serious institutions of higher learning anymore uh they're finishing school for elite libs and there's a hundred different ways that people get in that have nothing to do with being smart. So you just just forget about our whole conception of all oh, these schools are producing the best and the brightest in the future. It's really just all – it's just all now a new iteration of the social club. And it's, you know, can you get into the club? Can you leverage this for yourself? These students go there for four years. They don't learn squat. They really don't. Like I went to a reasonably fancy school myself. I didn't learn very much of anything that I didn't try to teach myself. You can show up to these classes, big lecture hall. Everyone just talking about diversity and inclusion all the time. That's all anyone cares about. And socializing and getting too drunk and excess fornication. Uh, here's what The Guardian, this editorial in The Guardian says, Why we risked arrest, oh my gosh, to protest Harvard and Yale funding fossil fuel giants. So this is the 136 Harvard-Yale football game. Here's what they say about this. It was not an accident. It was a strategic choice. These students said by leveraging or wrote by leveraging our privilege as students of two of the world's richest universities, we called attention to our universities and all of our institutions complicity in degrading our planet and our futures through their continued investment in the fossil fuel industry. In a climate emergency, we cannot afford to kick back, watch the game and ignore reality. Our movement, the Youth Movement for Climate Action and Justice, cannot win if we play by the rules. As we fight to divest, we fight to radically transform an unsustainable and unethical status quo. Climate change is not a distant reality for us. It is imminent and deeply personal. Within both Fossil Fuel Divest Harvard and Yale's Endowment Justice Coalition, Students come from the smoke-filled skies of California, the vanishing shores of American Samoa, and the hurricane-hit lands of Puerto Rico. Our universities are not immune to narratives of climate disaster and injustice. My friends, these people are nuts. First of all, there is no there is no correlation whatsoever and no serious person who looks at the data argues otherwise between serious storms and climate change. It just doesn't. It's not real. It doesn't exist. It's not there. Um, you can keep pretending it is, but it's this is the, this is a you're seeing this is where belief overtakes reason. That's what climate change has become. This is people. This is a religious belief. It really is. Um, you know, I could sit there. And I could try to convince somebody, for example, that they should look at the data too, and they would never get beyond "I'm a bad person who doesn't care about the planet." Neither of those things are true, but they've been conditioned to jump right to that. So nothing else that I say matters because I don't care about the planet. Only the climate change. I'm. I, I want to destroy the planet for the fossil fuel industry. I mean, this these people are morons. It makes no sense. I don't care about future... Only they care about future generations. I don't care about future generations. Because I'm paid off by who? Sounds great. Somebody should pay me off. Who's paying me off? No, I just think that people should be able to watch a football game without a bunch of complete imbeciles sitting in the middle of the field and and making everyone cold and bored. Well, what is this going to do? Ah, but they want control of the very large, multi-billion dollar endowments... Uh, that these two universities both have. Here they get into some specifics about what's supposed to be done so that they want to hijack decision-making about the endowments of these schools, these students. You have to do what we say with your money. But these kids are all lucky to be there. Any one of these kids could be replaced by 100 other kids in a day. And they're running around making demands. But the schools get afraid of them. You know, the schools get scared of the little social justice maniacs. Quote, it's not only through their investments that these elite institutions prop up the bad actors behind our planet's degradation. Whoa. Harvard continues to refuse to publicly recognize the vast and problematic ties that the Harvard Corporation maintains to the fossil fuel industry, including that one of its members, Ted Wells, is a top lawyer defending Exxon Mobil against charges of misleading investors about the, about the risks of climate change. Why are they picking on this guy? Even as Harvard has moved to investigate gifts made by sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, it has taken no action regarding the large gifts it gets from oil companies to fund much of its environmental programming and research. That's right, folks. These kids are saying, well, if you're going to not take money from a sex trafficking pedophile, then clearly you shouldn't take money from the largest corporations in the world that are doing incredibly important things for our day-to-day lives my friends millions and millions of people would die if we stopped using fossil fuels tomorrow just under if, if we just said no more fossil fuels the world is at risk millions of people would die you would not have food production at levels to sustain the current global population. You would not have food transport. You would not have food refrigeration. You would not have product. 50% of fossil fuel in this country that is used is used in the processes of making things. It's not just what goes into cars. People think, oh, we're all just going to drive around in Teslas and ride bicycles. People don't know anything. Half of the stuff that the, that the fossil fuel industry is, is putting out there, or rather half of the usage of fossil fuels, is so that you you know, can carry a supercomputer in your hand and go to a doctor's office that has all kinds of fancy computers to look at you and scan you and make sure you're healthy and fine. Then you go to a supermarket that is so bountiful, has so much food from all over the world that your biggest problem is limiting how much food you eat. That's true for most of us now in this country we we have diseases of excess our problems are of food excess this is because of the advanced modern economy that we have we only have it because of fossil fuels we are naturally decarbonizing there is less and less co2 from the technologies that are coming online but to try and jump to try to great leap forward this and i'm using that intentionally to try to five year plan the natural process of decarbonization in our fuel is so wildly catastrophically stupid but these kids these universities have created little monsters they're 18 they don't know anything i was a very wise 18 year old i didn't know anything these kids are running over maybe they're i think they're sophomores maybe they're 19 sorry the ones writing editorial, making demands about where the university is going to invest its money and you know, naming and shaming people because they're lawyers who I guess they don't understand how the legal system works this country that you can't be a lawyer that's defending a client, a corporate client. Now you're that means that you should be uh, kicked out of polite society. Um, I think one of the issues here is is even if you could get people to get beyond the the religious fervor that they have around climate change, uh, they can't ever back away from this because they would have to feel really stupid. Um, they would have to feel like they've been swindled. They've been fooled. Because they have. They have been fooled. They've been sold this bill of goods. They've been uh, completely fraudulently brought into this idea that the world is going to end, and they've taken action on it, and they will even stop uh, a a football game from happening for an hour to dry. Do they think that they're winning any hearts and minds with this campaign? They're really going to force people. They're going. They're going to try to use force. They're going to bend them to their will, so they won't. Uh, so so they will divest from the fossil fuel. To divest from the fossil fuel industry. I, I wish I could sit down and speak to these little imbeciles. To divest from the fossil fuel industry would mean divesting from every major corporation every major company actually scratch that pretty much every company in the world they wouldn't have lights they wouldn't have electricity they wouldn't be able to get deliveries they wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to have the workforce show up how how do you divest from a fossil fuel industry our entire economy runs on power on energy without it we're just human beings trying to do things with our hands and simple tools. That's not how the world works anymore. The lights that we have, the climate control inside our offices, all these things are only possible because of fossil fuel. You're going to divest in the fossil fuel industry? This is like saying you better divest from using money or else you know we're going to just keep shutting things down. Only barter is allowed because money is the source of all evil. You can only trade things now. You know, if you want bacon, you better show up with a pig or rather show up with, you know, pineapples that you're going to trade for the pig. You're not allowed to use money anymore. That's how stupid this is. Divesting from fossil fuels, because if you're divesting from fossil fuel because you're opposed to fossil fuels, then you should also divest from the companies that rely on it and then use it all the time. Which you could never do. So why are you punishing that we're trying to punish those companies? Why are you trying to lower investment in them? When they're already doing what they say they want them to do, which is establish new technologies, most of the, of the advancement, trust me, if ExxonMobil found a way to start using sunlight to generate all of our power, they would do it. But it's not there yet. It's not there yet. This is this is the tyranny of stupid brats. Maybe we call the show that today. The tyranny of stupid brats. That's what's going on. It. What do you think? I kind of like it. That's what's going on at Harvard and Yale. Listen to us, or else we'll ruin your foot. I'm sure people traveled out there, probably you know, with with you know, family members from afar. It's a big deal. to people from the Harvard, Yale community. I know we can all sit around and make fun of them, and it's mostly because you know a lot of us didn't get into Harvard or Yale, so we got a little spite toward those schools. Um, but the, the, at the end of the day, they've done nothing to advance their cause, and they've just really shown us. Um, how really vain and self-important these uh, climate activists are. They don't care about your day. They don't care what needs you have. They're going to get their way or they're going to ruin your day. They're going to ruin your afternoon. That's how certain they are of their cause. They don't know anything about science. They have no background on this. They don't understand the economy. And they certainly don't show any gratitude to the system we have that allows them to live stream on the supercomputers they have in their hands the nonsense virtue signaling they engage in the middle of this football stadium. Uh, they seem to have no problem with any of that. Being only possible because of fossil fuels. They they don't get that. They don't understand that. There's a lot of things they don't understand. Maybe they should try teaching kids real stuff at Harvard and Yale now. You know, maybe they should they should a lot of these schools they should have radical curriculum redos because it it all just is a game to see who can get good grades and then who can get a certain kind of job. it's It's not about learning. It's not about expanding minds. It's not about the the life of the mind or or intellectual exchange and and searching for that. certainly not about searching for the truth. you know, universities have just become little indoctrination factories for left wing automatons. And then they stamp this degree on them and, oh, I must be so smart. I went to Harvard I know I know idiots a plenty who graduated from name a school that's fancy. And I I I can think of people I know went there who didn't get in because they're so smart and aren't so smart because they went there. The climate change kids guarantee you not very smart.
0: Team Buck, it's time for roll call.
1: I'm going to get to roll call team because I know that's your time, and I don't want to take time from the team. But I, I did have to note that there was a over the over the weekend there was a tweet that went kind of viral about bad food takes. What was interesting was first of all to see, or sorry, controversial food takes. What I mean to say, controversial food takes. Uh, and, and the most interesting one was that there was a a never Trumper, a former conservative who now will vote for Democrats, who said that he thought that Indian food was was garbage. And uh, he's a white guy, uh, and he got just pummeled by the social justice left for that. It's racist to say you don't like Indian food if you're or if you're a white guy, I'd, I'd never that's a new one. I didn't know that now we're at food taste is a function of social justice as well. But I want to know, Producer mark. Do you have a contra? Well, first of all, you, you look at you want to say something just about that.
4: I mean, I don't like mayonnaise. Does that mean I'm racist? I don't know.
1: no no, because that's not that doesn't belong to any I, I don't know. Actually, I think mayonnaise. If you, it's kind of probably, like, well, like a North American, yeah. you know.
4: Like, I just named the food I don't American like. Like, uh, just ridiculous. What
1: is what is your most controversial? food? Oh, food? I hate
4: peanut butter. Like, despise it. Wow. I think it's the worst thing in the world. That is even the smell of peanut butter will make me want to vomit.
1: That's a surprise. Yeah. All right. I actually prefer almond butter, which I know is a little little frou frou of me, yeah. but uh, a little bougie. I'm not that. You know, the problem with peanut butter is that it's good. And then if you eat three spoonfuls of it, then you have to realize you basically had like all your calories for the day. Yeah, it's like if you want to get fat, you just sit there and eat peanut butter. You'll be good to go. I like
4: cookie butter from Trader Joe's. A little cookie butter.
1: What's that? It's delicious. And cookie butter. Yeah. Is it butter made from cookies? Yeah, basically. Well,
4: I of- don't know what it technically
1: is, but it, it's delicious. That sounds kind of fantastic. Mr. Yeah. Brandon, do you have a do you have a controversial food take you want to share with us?
5: I think the only thing is that I have a palate of a 10-year-old, so, you know, when you talk about meats, I just like my hamburger with ketchup, and that's it. Maybe cheese. You're one of those, huh? Yeah. I I eat, like, again, like I'm in kindergarten or something.
1: I know other people like that. They only eat burgers with, like, nothing and ice cream, and they don't like, you know, there's no veggies they like, and...
5: Yeah, or I like pickles on the side, but if it's on my hamburger, I want to throw up. Oh, wow, okay. It's weird.
1: Yeah, well, that's not good. Let's not have that happen. Yeah, I would just say my controversial food... T- well, people listening to the show know that I, I hate sun-dried tomatoes. I think they ruin everything. I think they should be banned. The same way that Bloomberg wants to ban big drinks with uh, sh- you know too much sugar in them, we should just ban sun-dried tomatoes.
4: That's just such a random thing. Just ban them. Just believe ugh,
1: all the foods food.
4: in the world. that You specifically dislike sun-dried tomatoes. Yeah. Regular tomatoes well, are also, fine.
1: I think that sweetbreads only exist because they're called sweetbreads, and people are too embarrassed because they order them not knowing what they are, and then no one ever says to the chef, "Don't ever have this crap on the menu again." What do you mean by sweetbreads? Sweetbreads are it's animal uh, organ meat, basically oh, organ that's innards. you yeah. You go to a fancy restaurant; those they'll, they'll have sweetbreads sometimes on there. I
4: thought you meant sweet bread. No, 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 yeah. no.
1: Sweetbreads is a uh, it's like. Uh, intestines or oh, that, some kind of why organ, you know, eat yeah, that liver gross. or something i don't know also all that like liver is gross too i don't but no one really uh no one really
4: my uh, grandmother loved tongue
1: some people eat that yeah, yeah. squab you is it's like a little pigeon that's gross by mm. the way it does not taste does not taste good so um yeah i'm just saying the, of the food takes i think the only one that i would have that's controversial i don't think peanut bu- i mean i'm actually kind of with you i don't think peanut butter and jelly is that good I don't know why people think it's such a great sandwich. I think there's way better combinations than peanut butter and jelly.
4: I I can't comment because I I hate peanut butter. If you
1: offer me if you offer me a grilled cheese or peanut butter and jelly, oh grilled, grilled cheese every day. Grilled yeah. Cheese is a far superior sandwich.
4: Hundred
5: percent.
1: Yeah, there's no question about this. So I, I just feel like that's uh that's one. Oh, I guess maybe because I I can't eat gluten, but I've gotten used to this. I think that most hamburgers are ruined by their buns. I think bad hamburger bun is way more common than people realize. You can even have a pretty good hamburger and if you have a bad bun, especially if it's really big and doughy and chewy, then your hamburger is in bad shape.
4: You're right, mm-hmm. a good bun makes uh, a better burger. Yeah.
1: No, you you want a good you bun. You know what I learned the recently? It be appropriate size. Yes,
4: I agree. I learned recently about pizza. Sesame seeds on a pizza crust makes it 10 times better. Really? I don't I mean, sound like a New Yorker when I say that, yeah, but I a never, place by I my never, house. i actually never heard of that. Does that? I mean, and it's get amazing. Into the yeah. whole
1: Ham and pineapple on their pizza thing. If you Is put pineapple
4: example? on your pizza, you are un-American.
1: See? Direct all of your angry angry emails to producer.
4: Ham, I can see. Pizza. fine, whatever. Yeah, but in, like, pineapple what you know, same thing. Ex- Pineapples? come on.
1: I like some specialty
4: slices, but pineapple, come on.
1: I went to this I was so I went to the college and the most famous restaurant in the whole town of our college was called Antonio's pizzeria. and that place had a line of a hundred people. Every Saturday, every Friday and Saturday night until like 2 o'clock in the morning. And they had, I mean, they had all kinds of, you know, they had like fettuccine Alfredo pizza slices, blue cheese, buffalo pizza slices. It was amazing. This is when I used to be able to eat gluten too, so I got real fat. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah,
4: Nowadays, specialty slices are the bomb.
1: Specialty slices were this. They place. brought
4: h- here. I've had mac and cheese pizza the they other day. New, they had
1: New England. I'm getting really hungry by the way. Yeah, oh, I'm starving. They sorry, had New England clam chowder slice. Oh, yeah, they really got. it. I had
4: a spinach it. and artichoke dip pizza recently with big garlic knots as the crust. We are all getting
1: very well. Yes. hungry in here now. If any of you ever want really good gluten-free pizza in New York, Keste. Nobody, nobody wants that. Hey, it's really good. Don't listen to him. He's being he's being surly, surly Mark today. Surely Mark's got uh, how many days of freedom left, by the way? Eh? Five more days, Buck. Five more days, a single Mark over here before he walks down the aisle and he becomes an honest man.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. that's how it's going to go. I'm basically checked out, so it's all on Brandon. Who's the ring bearer? There's no ring bearer.
1: No, the ring no. bearer.
4: We've got a ring bearer.
1: You do? Yeah. All right. Just making sure. You don't get the reference, do you? No, I do. It's from How I Met Your okay, Mother. Okay, good. The bear that carries the ring. Thank goodness. I know. Right. I know what's. I know what's going on here. Are there going to be some gluten-free options at this wedding? I told. I literally had your entree changed. I just want to make sure you'll that, be getting you know, gluten-free mac and cheese. When I'm sitting there, and they bring me some very nice, like you know, chicken piccata with lots of flour all over it because they're trying to kill me. I just want to be clear that he said he promised me gluten-free meal at his wedding this weekend. Uh, I. I did. All right. Yeah. I, I just. When the catering staff... I wish there was a chicken piccata, though. As we discussed,
4: it's a kosher dairy wedding.
1: Oh, man. So what, is, what's the, what does that mean the is going to be?
4: Well, you're going to get gluten-free mac and cheese. We oh. discussed this already.
1: Ooh, ooh yeah. Huh. Gluten-free, mac, gluten-free mac and cheese. People people like to hate on gluten-free mac and cheese. I don't know what they're talking about. It's amazing. I'm going to get the regular mac and cheese. Yeah, that's good, too. Yeah. Mac and cheese is good. All right, your thoughts. Enough of us. Sorry. We've got a little... I, we're talking... I'm super hungry in here because I do this show. I usually don't eat till after the show. And by the end of the show, I am, I am starving. Uh, so with that in mind, we'll do, we'll do some roll call here. And we start with my man, Adam. Buck, I think you should start every question to producer Mark as pop quiz, hot shot, and end with what do you do? <laughs> I like that. It's a nice reference to the somewhat forgotten 90s action movie Speed starring Keanu Reeves which producer brandon thumbs up right it was good especially we saw in theaters you know it's a movie it's absurd as a movie it makes no sense but like this guy is setting up the most elaborate bombs ever like why why make them so elaborate why not just say i got a bomb somewhere give me money you know what i mean yeah the bus goes under 55 miles an hour it's like wow that's quite a thing it wouldn't be a very exciting
5: movie Without that.
1: But you know it was on, on uh, Netflix over the weekend for the first time that I'd seen? At least you know the, the Matrix uh, trilogy is now on Netflix. And I okay. watched some of the first one. Uh, the first Matrix movie is one of the 10 best action movies of all time, I think. It's fantastic. It's up there. That yeah. whole craze, it, it took over Hollywood. Yeah. The Matrix was amazing when it, when it came out. It really was, was kind of a, a game changer of a movie. Um, all right. Let's see what we got here. Dear Buck... Um. Oh, hold on a sec I gotta take care of that one later Karen writes uh, hey Buck just want to tell you that crazy as a bed bug is a saying that was used a long time ago I grew up hearing it and it came from bed bugs performing crazy antics on the mattress love your show listen to the podcast every day and encourage my parlor and twitter followers to listen thank you so much Karen and I was told this my mom actually told me that crazy as a bed bug what, is a thiever you, you ever heard that one before yeah I think it's fallen out of, you know, fallen out of of uh, common usage. Um, but, yeah, crazy is a bed bug is a thing. Chopper. Get to the chopper. Different chopper. Hey, Buck, I'm a new listener, but I found your show virtually unmissable. Want to point out there is a Hanukkah song. Other than the Dreidel song or the Sandler song, it's from the South Park Christmas special. I have I have two, my two producers in here are both of the Jewish faith, and so they can weigh in.
4: That is not a Hanukkah song.
1: Have you ever heard
4: it? No. It is wildly hilarious but offensive, because <laughs> it's
1: South Park. Okay, yeah, I don't know this one.
5: <laughs> Kyle is a very lonely person of the, uh, the Hebrew faith, so he sings about that he's a lonely person. Jew. <laughs> that's, ah. a, that's the name of the song. I'm a lonely Jew.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> they've seen it. I, I have not. But Chopper, appreciate you listening and thank you for the uh, thank you for the heads up. Christy. Hey Buck, hope you've had a great weekend. Thanks for helping us make sense of the impeachment nonsense so far. I'd like to send you and producers Mark and Brandon a Christmas card. Is there a mailing address for the Freedom Hut? I mean, it should just be the Postal Service should just get its act together and know that all you should have to write on the letter is The Freedom Hut, boom, and it should show up here. Unfortunately, don't do that because I don't think that will work. Um, Is there a mailing address for the Freedom Hut? No, not yet, not really. I don't know. I guess we could. Can we? Should we get a PO box? Is that? Do people? We should set that up. Isn't that? But then who's going to go to the PO box? Right. I mean, they. Right. They could
4: always send it to where we're located, and then attention the Buck Sexton Show.
1: Really going to get here though. We know that. Uh, I don't know unless it's for like the new like. Hot top 40 recording artists. Like, I don't think it's gonna get I don't think anyone's gonna find us. Well, we've gotten mail. We have? Yeah. Right. Maybe. Maybe we'll do it then. Uh Philip writes, You will never master Fiona Hill's accent. She is from the Coal Belt area of County Durham, whose principal city, Hartlepool, has an accent so unique it is not it is largely unintelligible from anyone not from said city. Her father was a coal miner and a communist sympathizer. Her resume is highly suspicious. Um, I, I didn't, yeah, I do not know Hartlepool. I've never even heard of Hartlepool. So, yeah, her accent was funky stuff, man. It sounds a little bit English, a little bit Irish, a little bit Cornish, maybe. Or is that a thing? Welsh or something? I don't know. Uh, Cindy. You had talked about Chico State in California, which is a university. I live in a small town two hours from Chico in the mountains. The walk-away movement uh, is about uh, gay people walking away from the Democratic Party. Brandon Straka started the conversation. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Um. Oh, okay. Walk-away is about... People from the gay community leaving the Democrat Party. And I guess Blexit is members of the black community who are leaving the Democratic Party. I believe that is the case. But thank you, Cindy. I, did, I didn't know that. I'd never heard of, uh, of Walk Away, really. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know what it was about. All right, and we're back in our roll call zone. Tyler uh buck are you seeing what's going on at moho new york the police are laying siege to a man for possession of 30 round magazines tyler i did not see that but it would not surprise me man every time one of these laws passes where they start mandating changes to what is a legally permissible magazine uh you know different rail systems not allowed on guns there are certain firearms will be banned anytime that happens there are going to be these cases that come up where people are are all of a sudden, they're, they're going to make examples of you. They're going to make an example of you if you don't comply, if you don't submit. And I think that that's something that we all need to keep in mind here, that there will be people who are punished, who lose their freedom, who get sent to prison even because of all of this. So there you have it. Um, I will check that out, though. I did not see it. Did you see this in my whole pack? Do you guys know? No. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Sorry, sometimes sometimes it slips past the buck radar, and that's uh, a thing that I will watch out for in the future. Anthony, but you know what was pretty good over the weekend, by the way? I saw the first episode of The Spy with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who played Ali G in Borat. It's good. I would recommend it to you gentlemen. I'd recommend it to the folks at home, too. I would say he's, I was...
4: He played Borat in Borat.
1: Didn't I say that?
4: You said he played Ali G.
1: And Borat.
4: Oh, sorry, I didn't hear that part.
1: Get back to making the show. Work. All right. Get back to making us actually send the the things to across the country. The audio. There we go. That's what I was trying to think of. See, even if the captain comes in, you know, if he leaves the this, the controls of the speak ship, for and a hit living. an iceberg. Because I'm over here playing the violin. It's on him. Just saying.
4: Well, don't hit an iceberg.
1: Well, dude, you're the one steering. I'm just, I'm just making the noise. I'm just, ah. the, I'm just the entertainment. He's the one steering the ship. Anthony, how is it possible for Dems to denounce the Syria pullout as abandoning the Kurds, but when Obama did not support the Ukrainians, there's radio silence. I know the answer. I am just saying. Well, you do know the answer. And the answer is that there are different standards applied to Democrats and Republicans. Trump is better, has been better on Ukraine than his predecessor was, and yet we keep getting told by the media that one of the reasons we must get rid of President Trump is because he abandoned the Ukrainians, but he did not. In fact, he did the opposite of abandoning them, if you look at what has really happened. But they don't want to look at what really happened. They'd rather, they they would prefer to continue on with the propaganda from their side, that this president must be removed, that he's terrible, that he's evil, that he's the meanest man, ever and it is not true um let's see what we have here rod buck love the show and never miss a podcast well rod you have fantastic taste in podcasts just a heads up i listen on iheart radio and the audio of your clips are about twice as loud as when you're speaking it's really really annoying it doesn't happen with any of the other podcasts i listen to the same platform your producer is doing something wrong shields high um i turn this now to producer mark Find a new podcast wrong, to listen Mark? to. What?
4: Find a new podcast to listen to, sir. Wow. Uh,
1: I disagree with producer Mark. Continue to listen to this podcast. No, do
4: continue to listen, right. but, uh, I mean, it's not really true.
1: you saying it doesn't happen? Mm. Rod, the customer is always right, and you are the customer. You can send an angry email to producer Mark on the next one. But thank you for listening to the podcast. That's going to be it for us today in the hut, my friends. We are rocking. We are rolling. We are freedom spreading. I guess. I couldn't think of something that rhymed there. Uh, producer Mark has to get ready for getting married this week. And send him some some congratulations uh, up front on his nuptials here, folks. He's actually at least one of the members of the Freedom Hut's going to be married. So that's good. Um, I'm going to be Uncle Buck pretty soon, I think. So that'll be an interesting thing.
4: No time soon, I promise. Yeah.
1: See? And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.